100th Psalm, a Psalm of Thanksgiving. Make a joyful noise unto Jehovah, all ye lands. Serve Jehovah with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that Jehovah, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Give thanks unto him and bless his name. For Jehovah is good, his loving kindness endureth forever and his faithfulness unto all generations. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank thee and praise thee again this day that we have the privilege as thy children of gathering ourselves together before thee, of worshiping thee in spirit and truth, of having thy help to do so. We often, we confess, we often feel as though that we ought to be able to do it without thy help. And yet, O oh Lord our God, we still have sin within us. And we need the strength of Christ, and we thank thee that we are given that strength. And we have the Holy Spirit himself indwelling to help us to take the things of Christ, to show them to us. Our Father, we pray that our, our time of worship is pleasing unto thee, that the singing of, thy, of songs unto thy grace, unto thy praise, have been acceptable, that our prayers have been acceptable, that thou did bless and continue to bless the, pre the speaking, the reading of thy word. And we do pray as well for the preaching of thy word that thou would bless, O Lord our God, that thou would help. <clears throat> for without thee we can do nothing, but in thy strength we can do all things. So we pray, O Lord our God, that thou would bless and help and build thy church upon thy truth and upon love. We ask through Jesus Christ, amen. <clears throat> I read uh, the 100th Psalm because it's pertinent to what we're looking at this evening. We've been looking at, the, at Isaiah 12, that little comparatively brief Per, uh, chapter that I believe contains a song of Isaiah, perhaps even a psalm. But we'll be looking again at the second verse tonight. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For Jehovah, even Jehovah, is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Jehovah is my song, we have just read, and he has become my salvation. I've turned that around a little bit, and I don't think that I've disturbed the truth at all. Having become my salvation, he has become my song, my new song through God's regenerating grace. Having become my salvation, he has become my song, my new song, through God's regenerating grace. 
I believe that there is a real sense that God, the triune God, has become our song as he's become all things to us. <clears throat> I'm thinking in terms of not only of his being our song, but of, of, our, of our singing praise unto our God by his grace. I'm thinking in terms of corporate singing, not setting aside the reality that we have the privilege of singing all the day long if, if we can hold out uh, and if we have the opportunity. But I'm thinking primarily of God's people singing together God's praise corporately. Now we may contend when we think about singing corporately and singing in God's worship, we may contend about choirs, for example, and they have been contended about for centuries. We can argue about the use or non-use of musical instruments. We can fuss about psalms or hymns. We can fuss about those issues, contend about those matters, and disagree about some of them or all of them. But our singing, I maintain, our singing, whether it's with, with or without instruments, whether it's psalms or hymns, our singing ought to be consistently theocentric. Our singing to God's praise ought to be consistently Christ-centric, Christocentric. Praise and thanksgiving to our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we can ask ourselves, and probably should uh, ask ourselves from time to time, why do we sing what we sing? Why are we singing particular songs, particular words, and so on? Why do we sing what we sing? Why do we worship the way that we worship? And it's involved in that. Why do we sing what we sing? We hold here, I believe, rather tenaciously to the centrality of the word of God in our worship of himself. And I would ask, Ought we not then to also maintain the centrality of the word of God in our singing of praise unto him? Ought this not also to be the case with our singing of praise to God? We have had the Trinity hymnal. I've forgotten how long we've had that now. It must be approaching 10 years, I'm not certain maybe at least eight. <clears throat> but the publisher's defense for publishing another hymnal, the publisher's defense of, of the Trinity hymnal and written by the committee charged with the publication of a new hymnal for the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is in the front of the hymnals and I'm gonna read it, it's just a, a paragraph. <clears throat> the Orthodox Presbyterian Church was formed I think in 19, 37, and this Trinity hymnal was published 25 years later, or at least they began the work. And so it was a, a fairly young denomination. But the uh, committee uttered these sentiments 
at the front of the, or in the first couple of uh, introductory pages in the hymnal, and they said this, the publication of a completer hymnal by a small and young denomination is most unusual. Yet it was undertaken because of the realization of the importance of song in the worship of God. It is well known that the character of its song, almost equal with the character of its preaching, controls the theology of a church. We may argue that that ought not to be, but I don't think that we can argue that it isn't the case more often than not. In more than one communion where the preaching has departed from biblical truth, the remnant of sound theology contained in favorite hymns has prevented the spiritual life of the church from becoming entirely blighted. However, as, older, as the older hymnals have become unavailable, newer editions have introduced ideas foreign to the Word of God. And as the more formal hymnals often fail to provide hymns for informal occasions, many evangelical congregations have turned to smaller hymnals and songbooks. These at best have presented a truncated view of the place of song in divine worship. And at worst, they have turned worship into something unworthy of a holy God and his people. Thus, there is need for the resurgence of reverent worship of the Lord in song. It is essential that he be worshiped in accordance with his own infallible word, and that that worship seek to reflect the whole counsel of his will. It is our earnest hope that Trinity Hymnal will be found to satisfy this manifest need. They just conclude by saying, if in some small measure our sovereign God will graciously use Trinity Hymnal to restore to his church the joy and blessing of worship in song, the committee will be well repaid for the work of love that, which has filled many days of rewarding labor. My own personal view is that the Trinity Hymnal is probably the best hymnal that's available. That's not to say that it's perfect. It's a little bit like the 1901 American Standard Version that I referenced last week. I happen to think it's the best or I wouldn't be using it, but it's not perfect. It's not perfect. We don't have any perfect translations. But I feel that we have a wonderful hymnal, and in particular, the Baptist edition now that's, that's not to set ourselves, isolate ourselves from our brethren in the churches, but it, they've done a couple of things to the original Trinity hymnal. I already mentioned it was a work of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, and so they had some Pado-Baptist hymns, just a few that have been substituted with something else, and they also had the Westminster Confession in the back, and that's been replaced with the 1689 London Baptist Confession. Whether that's important or not, you can come to our Sunday school class and Chuck will tell you about confessions some more. But scripture, <clears throat> scripture itself has provided us with matter for singing praise. Now, that goes almost without saying with regard to the Psalms, but I'm not talking 
just about the Psalms. Scripture has provided us with matter for singing praise. We have the examples of Moses, the song of Moses in Exodus 15. I will sing unto Jehovah, for he hath triumphed gloriously. I mean, that gives us a clue right there. It's talking about the victories that God has wrought and that his people are singing praise unto him because of the victory that he gave. Now, can we relate that to our salvation? Is that not a share in the victory of Christ at Golgotha? And do we not have the privilege then of singing praise unto God and, and saying, as it were, with Moses, I will sing unto Jehovah, for he hath triumphed gloriously for my salvation. And then Deborah simply says in the beginning of her lengthy uh, song, and I'm talking about these because I believe that, that many of them are actually our songs that have been put in our copies, put in our Bibles um, through inspiration. And there are just many of them that have gone unrecognized and so on. But Deborah said, I, even I, will sing praise to Jehovah, the God of Israel. Now that was subsequent to a victory as well that God gave to Deborah and Barak. And that's what we're singing of most often, whether it's immediately recognizable or whether it's a little more remote in a hymn or in a psalm, we're singing praise to God because he's the victor. He has been victorious. And in Micah we read, Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? How did he do that? And I believe we have, uh, we have those words in a metered version for an overhead that we can indeed sing that portion from Micah. And then Malachi, but unto you that fear my name shall the son of righteousness arise with healing in its wings. Now it can be debated whether or not that son of righteousness is a reference to Christ, but nonetheless it's a faithful promise of God whether that be the case or not. And, and we've been given these, I believe, to sing, or at the very least, given as examples of what God would have for his praise to contain. And, and we see in these that, that it, they all, each of them, speak of God's victories, of God's grace and mercy and the pardoning iniquity and so on and so forth. And that's what hymns ought to speak of. And we know every, any one of us that have been in different churches for any, over the years, we know that there are other hymnals other than what we have. There are other hymns and some of them frankly are, are not worthy of being sung by the people of God. I'm not gonna sit and pick out each ones and go over them and just, you know, out of some kind of an overt lust to, to be a nitpicker or something, but we all, I'm just saying that we all know that there are, there are those that are out there uh, that aren't worthy of our taking upon our lips. They aren't worthy of our God, more importantly. Isaiah 6, that vision of Isaiah. 
it's hard to imagine that that couldn't be turned into a song of praise to God when we read in Isaiah 6, above him stood the seraphim. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain did he fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. Now, of course, we do have a hymn, Holy, holy, holy. And it's been uh, uh, well sung and, and uh, enjoyed by believers for years, and it's a good hymn. Holy, holy, holy is Jehovah of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundation of the threshold shook at the voice of him that cried in the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, Jehovah of hosts. And of course, when we look at John chapter 12, we discover the inspired writer saying that Isaiah was speaking, that this was speaking of seeing in this vision the Lord Jesus Christ, that he saw our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, in that vision. And what a, what a grand hymn that would make. And I don't doubt, but what, if we search, we may find that there are some perhaps even in our hymnal that reference such things. And perhaps we haven't sung them yet because uh, the available tune isn't available to our memory uh, or some such thing. But these things I'm suggesting are worthy for us to sing praise unto God, to speak of his wonderful works, to speak of his love for us, to speak of his love for the whole world, to speak of what a gracious and loving and absolutely holy God he is, to speak of these things. And then there are praises, of course, in the New Testament as well. In the Gospels, particularly in Luke's Gospel, we know there are some uh, song materials there, beginning with Mary in, in what's called the Magnificat, when she responds to the announcement that she is going to, to bear that holy thing. She says, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. God my Savior, she says, rejoicing and in, in, in desiring to magnify the Lord. That's what our singing is to do, to magnify the Lord in every way, to magnify his grace, his holiness. And that's followed in Luke by, by the father of John Baptist, Zacharias, when, when he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, for he hath visited and wrought redemption for his people. And then, of course, the angels themselves in that um, seasonal, seasonal song that they sing in Luke 2.14, Glory to God in the highest. We don't need to wait for December to sing glory to God in the highest, do we? And on earth, peace among men in whom he is well pleased. And then there's Simeon's nunc dimittis. That's Latin for now let depart. And it's been given that name by somebody that knew Latin. But of course, that's because of the words of Simeon. When he received the Christ child into his arms, 
and he, and he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, which was the Christ child, you remember. And he said, Now let us thou thy servant depart, Lord, according to thy word in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation. This, this is the salvation, this Christ child, this, this is the consolation that I've been waiting for. And that would be worthy, I'm suggesting, of singing. There are other hymns of praise in Paul's epistles, in Philippians, that very familiar um, portion in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. And, and you know it quite well, I know. It's a very well-known portion of God's word. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, and so on, who existing, who existing, in the form of God, counted not the being on an equality with God, a thing to be grasped. Could that not be put, put to a tune and put to meter that we could sing praise unto God for this one who, who became man for us that he might save us, that he might redeem us, reclaim us through his own blood? Being found in fashion of a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, Yea, the death of the cross. These are the things that we should be singing back into God's ear, as it were, praising him for this so great salvation that he determined upon and, and that Christ, through his own body and blood, did accomplish on the cross. And that God the Holy Spirit applied to those for whom Christ died. And then Colossians in the first, the first chapter, Colossians at verse 15. Speaking of Christ here, we're told in 14, in whom we have our redemption, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for in him were all things created, in the heavens and upon the earth, and so on. These things, these wonderful realities, these truths, these magnificent uh, works that Christ accomplished, that God accomplished through Christ, would provide wonderful matter <coughs> for song, for praises, these hymns of praise in Paul's epistle as I say, these scriptural hymns, if I can call them that, these scriptural hymns have one thing in common. I believe they are connected. They are each of them connected with God and his Messiah, Christ, and with salvation through him. We read at the beginning the 100th Psalm. And it's a very popular song of invocation in services and introduction, if you will. But I mean, it tells us so many things. You know, just in the first couple of verses, make a joyful noise unto Jehovah, all ye lands. We are to make a joyful noise unto God. We are to sing praise with joy as we seek to magnify his name and to please him in, a, in our worship. We're to serve Jehovah with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. God has given us this blessed privilege of singing praise unto him. 
And I, I rejoice in this, in the singing of praise in this little room with a little number of people. And it really breaks my heart to remember some of the places that we've been in where they had a lot more people in a lot bigger room and a lot less singing. And I'm just, I'm just speaking the truth here that, that the Lord has blessed us in this place and giving, given us hearts that love to sing praise unto God. I want to just look a little bit at what is meant by sing a new song. Have you ever noticed that in the scriptures, places where, where we're told to sing a new song, or they sang a new song unto God? What does that mean? What is a new song? Is that something that, that we can't sing now? Is that something that we sang yesterday but we didn't sing last year? Is that something that we're gonna sing in heaven? What exactly is meant by sing a new song? This terminology, new song, is found in five psalms. It's found once in Isaiah and twice in Revelation. In Psalm 33, in Psalm 33, is at least in the order of scripture, it's the first occasion. Psalm 33, where we find this reference to new song. I'll begin at the first verse. Rejoice in Jehovah, O ye righteous. Praise is comely for the upright. Give thanks unto Jehovah with the harp. Sing praises unto him with the psaltery of ten strings. Sing unto him a new song. Play skillfully with a loud noise. For the word of Jehovah is right. And all his work is done in faithfulness. You see just in those few verses what our praises should contain. And even in some aspects how we are called to perform with a loud noise on these instruments. Now we need to be careful about that. I can remember one church that you couldn't tell if you were even singing yourself because the organ was so loud. Yeah, and I'm not making that up. And I think that they probably played it so loud to, um, to intimidate people not to sing. I don't know, I, I don't read their hearts. but. Uh, they had a choir also to, to keep up with the thing. But God calls us here. He says, sing unto him. I mean, it says, give thanks unto Jehovah. Rejoice in Jehovah and sing unto him a new song. Sing unto God. Sing unto Jehovah a new song. A new song. We can only try to imagine what that means by the context in which it's found. But we, we have been given an understanding. We have been in the minds of some commentators and so on, a thought or an idea at any rate, and I appreciated what one man wrote when he said singing 
Singing is the music of nature. The scriptures tell us the mountains sing. The scriptures tell us the valleys sing. The scriptures tell us the trees of the woods sing. Nay, this man says, the air is the bird's music room. That might be a stretch, but I think I know what he means. I mean, the whole world, at one, in one, at one time, in, in time, at the end of time, if you will, is going to be singing praise unto God in some form or another. They will be singing praise to our God. All these, all these things that he's spoken of, the mountains, the valleys, the trees, reminded me of Christ's response to the Pharisees. You remember when they were complaining, when they were complaining when Christ was entering Jerusalem, they were complaining that his disciples were making too much commotion in their singing of praise unto him. And what was Christ's response? He said, if these hold their peace, the stones will cry out. The stones will cry out. Well, if mountains can sing, if valleys can sing, if trees can sing, if stones can cry out, what does it take for us to sing a new song? How can we accomplish this, sing unto him a new song? I think whatever it is, I think that we can expect that it needs to be sung by a new man. Someone with a new heart. We have been blessed with the new birth and the new covenant has been brought forward by Christ Jesus. Do these things not warrant a new, a, new, a new man, a new birth, a new heart, a new testament, a new covenant? Do these things not warrant the singing of a new song and praise unto Jehovah? A new creation, a new tongue, a new name, I believe, demand a new song in the mouth without even concerning ourselves with what the new song itself is. I think it's a song that's sung by new people. In Psalm 40, there's another use of this. In Psalm 40, I waited patiently for Jehovah, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock and he established my goings. I think most of us, when we read that, relate it to salvation. Do we not? I know John Bunyan certainly did, and many other writers. But then what does he say? And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. And then again, many shall see it in fear and shall trust in Jehovah. Is that not one of the usages of our singing praise unto God? That many will see it? That many will hear it? That many will understand what we're doing? They will understand when we're singing? 
Praise unto God, and that many shall trust in Jehovah, the psalmist says here. Singing a new song when they hear new people with a new song in their mouths, coming from new hearts, that they may be affected by it. Now you know that I understand that the only way anyone is going to be saved is if God the Holy Spirit regenerates their heart. I'm not saying that we can go around and start a band and go up and down the streets and start singing and expect to have a great revival. Although God could bless it, it's his will. But it just suggests here that that the effect of new people, new-hearted people singing new songs have an impact upon those that hear them singing those psalms. We have been created to praise God with singing. Was the new song put in my mouth at regeneration? I, I think that I have to say that whether the new song was put in my mouth the ability to sing a song new was provided at regeneration, even as faith was provided. I think about Christ's words when he instituted the Lord's table and said, I shall not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Now, I don't understand everything about that either that Christ is going to be partaking of with his new people when they're all gathered together without sin. Psalm 96, we have the same, we have another occasion of, just in the first verse, oh, sing unto Jehovah a new song. Sing unto Jehovah all the earth. Sing unto Jehovah a new song. Sing unto Jehovah, bless his name, show forth his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is Jehovah and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. What are we to do? What is this psalm telling us to do? What is this new song suggesting when we sing it? It would seem that we have it contained in this that we've just read. What is it that we've just read? That we're to bless his name, we're to show forth his salvation, we're to declare his glory, we're to declare his marvelous works, we're to praise him for his greatness, and we're to fear him. And we're calling others to do the same. You realize that, don't you? Brethren, sisters, you realize that when we sing praise unto God in the in the gathered assembly, that we're singing to each other as well. That, that, that's why Paul can say in Colossians and Ephesians that we're instructing through the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. We each receive, even, even as when we pray, yes, we're praying unto God, but others hear our prayers, and they receive instruction or encouragement or consolation from the prayers of God's people as well. In Psalm 144, 
we have the same sort of things. And in 149.1, God's people invoke to sing a new song in his praise in the assembly of the saints. And then in Isaiah 42.10, on the heels of the saving grace of God, perhaps in the recovery of his people from captivity, but nonetheless a type of God's saving grace, and the people, the redeemed, are exhorted to sing unto Jehovah a new song. And the two remaining reference to new song are found in Revelation. And we should all of us go into Revelation with fear and trembling, as Mark suggested this morning, because it's very difficult, but perhaps we're not going to make too much difficulty about it. Revelation chapter 5, we find the first instance of new song. And it comes on the heels uh, of the end of chapter 4, of course, where there's a, a song there up in verse 8 and then again in 11. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty. And so on. And in 11, worthy art thou, our Lord and our God, to receive the glory and the honor and the power. For thou didst create all things. And because of thy will they were and were created. But then we read in the ninth verse of, of chapter 5. They sing a new song, saying, worthy art thou. Worthy art thou to take the book. Now who is this? They're talking about the lion of the tribe of Judah. The root of David. The one who has overcome. The one, the one found worthy. The lamb that was slain. From before the foundation of the world and so on. The Lord Jesus Christ. And they're singing a new song to him saying worthy art thou. To take the books. And again, in the 12th verse, worthy is the Lamb that hath been slain to receive the power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb be the blessing and the honor and the glory and the dominion forever and ever. This is evidently the new song, and one has suggested that in these songs that we've mentioned here, that the first two are to God the Creator, the next two are to Christ the Redeemer, and the last one unto him that sitteth on the throne and unto the Lamb. The fifth one, the last one, is both to the Creator and the Redeemer. But then we have one remaining in the 14th chapter. One remaining usage of new song. And I saw and behold the Lamb standing on the Mount Zion and with him 140 and 4,000 having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads and I heard a voice from heaven as the voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder and the voice which I heard was as the voice of harpers harping with their harps 
and they sing as it were a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no man could learn the song save the hundred and forty and four thousand, even they that had been purchased out of the earth. Well, that tells us who they are to the satisfaction of many of us. We don't have to argue with people about the hundred and forty and four thousand, argue with people in sects and argue with people outside about that number. It's, it means a lot of people. And, and these people have been purchased out of the earth. These are they that were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they that follow the Lamb whithersoever he goeth. Who does that? These were purchased from among men to be the first fruits unto God and unto the Lamb. And in their mouth was found no lie there without blemish. Who are these if they're not the redeemed? The song of those redeemed by the Lamb. This new song that they sing. The song of those redeemed by the Lamb himself. God is sovereign. We, we feel that it's being echoed by these occasions that we've looked at. God is sovereign and he is to be worshipped. If God is not sovereign, one said, then God is not God. The entire creation is worshiping God. Heaven is a place of worship. Are you ready for it? Maybe we'll find out a whole lot better what these new songs are. But we can sing them now with new hearts. We can sing praise to God being new creations through the new birth. George Eldon Ladd, in his commentary, speaking of this chapter in Revelation, said we are here led to sing a new song. Revelation is characterized by new things, a new name for the redeemed. In those letters to the seven churches, twice mentioned, New names, the new Jerusalem mentioned twice, new heavens and a new earth, all things being made new. And this song is new. It is also a song of adoration, but not to God immediately and directly, but to the Lamb and through the Lamb to God, one said. Here they fall down before the Lamb and cry their worthies, Unto him, worthy is the lamb that was slain and hath redeemed us with his blood. This is the designed result of the effected new covenant, effected by the new birth, giving to the elect new hearts, new wills, new minds, putting a new song in their mouths. It, it appears to me that the response of the new song, as I've already said and suggested, is the product of a new heart, a new song in the mouth. Can we ever adequately praise God for his so great salvation that he has wrought through his so great son, Jesus Christ? It's just an interesting 
item about singing in Zephaniah 3.17, where we read, Jehovah thy God is in the midst of thee, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Have you ever read that? Have you ever thought about that? God expects his people out of love to sing unto him. But here we find that he's going to joy over us with singing. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that marvelous? Jehovah thy God is in the midst of thee, a mighty one who will save, talking about salvation. He will rejoice over thee with joy. He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. Matthew Henry said about this marvel. He said, the condescensions of divine grace. The great God not only loves his saints, but he loves to love them is pleased that he has pitched upon these objects of his love. He will joy over them with singing. He that is grieved for the sin of sinners rejoices in the graces and services of the saints and is ready to express that joy by singing over them. God, singing over us. Amazing grace. How sweet that sound will be. Our singing is to redound to the glory of God, to the magnifying of his name. It's to redound to the glory of God through the Son, by the working of God, the Holy Spirit. And again, it is to be absolutely theocentric. It's not about me walking in the garden. It's not, it's not about me holding the fort. It's not about me at all. It's about God. And his son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and the third person, God the Holy Spirit, our singing is to redound to the glory of our God, our triune God. That's what our singing is to accomplish. We have, again, by God's mercy, we have many, many beautiful hymns and psalms in our hymn book. One of them that is especially heartfelt by me anyway, and I trust by you, by Horatio Bonar, not what my hands have done can save my guilty soul. Not what my toiling flesh has borne can make my spirit whole. Not what I feel or do can give me peace with God. Not all my prayers and sighs and tears can bear my awful load. Is that not wonderful understanding of God's sovereign grace in salvation? He goes on, I praise the God of grace. I trust his truth and might. He calls me his. I call him mine. My God, my joy, my light. Tis he who saveth me and freely pardon gives. I love because he loveth me. I live because... He lives, having become our salvation. The triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost should rightly become our song, our only song. Let us pray. <coughs> oh, Lord our God, do help us. Do help us 
to sing praise unto thee from these new hearts that thou hast given us to do just that. Ever and always, enable us and help us, quicken us. To that end, that we might magnify thy name, we pray through Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd stand, the benediction is a verse from Revelation 21. And the fifth verse, and he that sitteth on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he saith, Write, for these words are faithful and true. Amen.